Thank you so much for tuning in to Northridge Church Podcast. We're so glad to have you a part of our weekly service. For more information, please visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your hearts as we dive into God's Word. I have never wanted to kiss the ground as much as I did when I landed. And uh, I took one of my fears, and uh, I, I didn't know this until I got older, that I'm absolutely a little bit afraid of heights. I did not know that all the years in the military. I wasn't. I think that I did not have the cognitive realization that you could actually get hurt when you're 17, 18, 19 years old. Anybody relate to that? The older you get, you start thinking, you know, we shouldn't even be jumping on trampolines. I mean, it's that dangerous. But life is an adventure. We, we started an adventure series last week, and we took... Our first series, our first sermon, I should say, entitled The Climb. And we talked about how our life is an uphill battle. But with Christ, in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we can overcome those uphill battles. In fact, it's not even just about the climb itself. It's about the journey. This week, uh, we're talking about the leap, specifically entitled The Leap of Faith. Because here's what I believe to be true. In the much the same way, now let me just offer you a qualifier, a caveat here. I am not endorsing everyone to go skydiving. It is quite frightening. It is uh, exhilarating for sure, but it's something that I've wanted to do for quite some time. You may deem it as completely asinine and be that as it may. Uh, it was something that I wanted to do and uh, just to be able to, to take that bucket list, check it off. Will I do it again? I'm not really sure. I know at one point in time, the guy told me, he said, um, I want you to reach up your hands. And, and I'm thinking, dude, don't even talk to me. Just land us. And he said, reach up. And there are these two, I don't know what you call them, these two... Uh, cords that you put he said put your hands on it I put my hands through it he lets go and then he goes so take and pull your left hand down to your thigh and I did and we went into a spin and I let it back up he said now do the right hand I said not happening <laughs> but you know the trust that I placed in that guy is is really minimal and really takes more faith to trust somebody in that kind of situation than it does take to trust the Lord in fact you rode down the road today this weekend you'll do it tomorrow you will pass someone Riding down the road 50, 60 miles per hour, five, six feet from you, the faith, and I'm using this word loosely, but the faith that it takes for you to pass that person, not knowing if they're a complete idiot, not knowing if they want to take your life, not knowing what they are doing or have done, drugs or anything like that, you put, set, you set, set your body in this chair today. You probably didn't go around and check all the legs to make sure that all the screws were tight. Now you just flop down in it. We use faith every day. And I think that as we begin to look into the life adventure of our Christian faith, I believe that we just must convince ourselves that it's not fear, but it's excitement. And what do you mean by that? I believe we're terrified of our faith. I believe we're terrified to share our faith. I believe we're terrified to talk about Jesus. We may throw out a, hey, the man upstairs kind of thing, but to speak the name of Jesus over people's life, I think we're terrified. Why? What are people going to think? Well, number one, who cares? Because the reality is, is that if we just take much like I did in the threshold of that door, it's the, it's the moment of our greatest fear that if we cross that proverbial line, stepping into the great unknown, we'll realize that it's God who is going to carry us through those moments. He will give us the words to say. If we're hiding the word of God in our heart, we don't have to worry about all the ins and outs of scripture and who wrote this book and who wrote that book. And that's oftentimes why we're afraid to share our faith. But in fact, the Bible says that if we would simply hide it in our heart, that he would call that back to our remembrance when it's needed. There's times every, almost every week when I stand up here and I begin to share a sermon and the Holy Spirit takes me in a different direction and begins to call back scripture that I had not even thought of, planned, but at some moment in time, I had hid that word in my heart. If you understand what I'm saying, can you just wave your hand at me? I'm going to tell you guys, we're afraid, we're terrified. 
So today what I want to talk to you about in this question is this. I wonder, you don't have to raise your hand, but is there anyone in here today that feels like your life, even your faith journey, is overlaid with absolute and utter fear? That if fear is the thing that's driving you, then faith has taken a back seat. It's the enemy, the arch nemesis of faith. And the Bible says we cannot please God without faith. Faith is something we live by. We walk by faith. We trust by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. So faith is essential to our spiritual journey. Yet fear has overran us and condemned us, and we miss life's greatest adventures. I want to qualify this morning's talk by a couple of things. Number one, fear is normative. Look to your neighbor and say, it's all right to be afraid. Go ahead and tell them. Some of y'all are afraid to talk to your neighbor and tell them that it's okay to be afraid. Because we're, we're driven by fear. But check it out. Let me give you kind of the makeup. Fear is a psychological, physiological, and behavioral state induced by the threat of one's well-being or survival, whether it be actual or potential. Now, I want to I really underscore that potential. How many times are we afraid of things in life? You know, the what if. How many times are we afraid of things in life that never come to pass? Well, if I do this, this could happen. Well, if I don't do that, this is what's going to happen. When in fact, the enemy's just whispering in your ear. Let me give you a verse, at least a part two of a verse. James 4, 7b. Listen to what it says. Resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. I believe with all of my heart, if, if God's children would stand up and speak life over their fear and say this, Satan, those are your lies. I'm a child of the most high God. I am no longer going to be driven by your whim of fear. And I believe with all of my heart, everything begins to change. How do you know that? Because even the physiology of fear, what do we do to calm the fear? When we begin to, to go through fear, we, our heart begins to beat fast and our, our palms get sweaty. We begin to profuse, uh, I mean, uh, sweat profusely. And, and all of these physiological things go on. But guess what? What do they tell you to do? You start breathing. Control your breathing. <sighs> just take a breath. Guess what? In just a matter of seconds, that changes everything. Why do I tell you that? Because I believe as quickly as I can just breathe properly, I can allow his spirit to breathe through me and I can change everything in a very moment. I truly believe that today. And fear is stifling us. What's the main function of fear? Fear is a good thing. Everybody in special ops in the military will tell you fear is something that keeps them sharp. Fear is something that, you know, when you think about what happens in your body, remember I told you last week there's a pleasure chemical called dopamine in your brain. Anytime you do something pleasurable, dopamine is released, and it's, it's this euphoria. It's this thing. It's, it's what connects us to drugs and addictions and all these things. It's released before you ever do that thing that has you bound. But then there, there's this other gland called the adrenal gland that when we move past, past pleasure and into excitement, that fight or flight, watch what happens. Our body produces and releases this adrenaline or epinephrine. And what happens is in that 20 minute moment, we get this acceleration of rush where all of the energy that's going into our vital organs is now shot to our muscles and we get this surge of energy like I can do anything. I want to tell you something. In Christ, there is a greater rush than anything, anything in our glands, anything in our body, anything in a bottle, anything in a pill can ever produce. And that is when I get the rush of knowing that God has called me to do something and I'm leaving fear behind and I'm going to do exactly what God has called me to do. It's the greatest rush you'll ever experience in your life. The cause of fear. Fear is a feeling induced by perceived danger. Again, underscore that. Or threat, which causes a change in our uh, metabolic and organic functions. It creates us a fight or flight. But then I want to read this to you. This is something that God just laid in my heart. 
So if fear is normal and natural flight response is, is the response to danger our surrounding, what happens when it becomes more? What about those of you who cannot even get into your vehicle for the fear of having an accident? What about those of you who cannot go when you're sick, go to the doctor because you have a phobia of needles? What about those of you, how many of y'all are, have a phobia of snakes? Not, not, I'm, I, snakes don't bother me. Don't like mice at all. Don't like rats. You bring it in, I'll shoot you and me. I'm not going to put up with it. I don't like gerbils. Don't like hamsters. Don't like anything. I don't like Mickey Mouse. I'm terrified of them. I don't like them. When they run in here, I start hollering for some of the ladies to go get them out of them little sticky papers. Don't like them. Snakes, not a problem. Because you know why? Because snakes eat mice. That's what's up. But some of us live our life, man, we're terrified of relationships and and getting hurt so we don't go in them. We're terrified of giving our life to, do you know, I'm going to go ahead and say this. There are some of you in this room that the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to come down and give your life to Jesus or come down and join the church or come down and make a public profession of faith and follow the Lord's baptism and you have not done it because you are stifled by fear. My friend, that kind of fear does not come from the Lord. That fear comes from the enemy, and it will prevent you from working all the way into your full God-given potential. Y'all give him praise because we're not going to have fear this morning. Amen? Real quickly, I want to give you our text this morning. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 and 7. 2 Timothy 1 and 7. I want to give you our text this morning. I quote this all the time in my life. I quote it in almost every sermon, so I don't have to look at this, but I want you guys to get your head around this because the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his young protege, literally probably just days and weeks before he went to be beheaded for his faith in a Roman prison under the rule of Nero. So this moment, he's preparing to be beheaded for his faith. He has every reason to be fearful. There's every reason to have trepidation and the treachery and the angst and the, the worry and anxiety of going to death. Yet he is fully confident as he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, you know what? I know that I finished my course. I, I've completed the race. I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. But back up to verse chapter 1 and verse 7. Here's what he says. For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power. Everybody say power. Everybody say power. And love. Everybody say love. And of a sound mind. He says, I'm not giving you fear, but I've given you power. That word is dudamas in the Greek. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosion. He's given us power to overcome those moments of fear, those moments of decision, those pivotal moments. And he's given us, he's given us power and he's given us love, that agape love. It's also found in phileo love, that, that relational love. It's found in the familial love. It's found in benevolent love. It's found in the, in the sensual love from husband to wife. But it's found in that unconditional, for God so loved the world that he gave, that type of love that says no matter if you're completely messed up, you're completely harmful to yourself and to others. God loves you so much that he will not leave you the way that you are. And guess what? He's given us a sound mind. How incredibly normative is it today to hear people taking psychosomatic drugs in our culture today? I assure you, when I was a young man, I would have been, had they known the, num- the name for it, I would have been ADD, ADHD. I would have been, AD- I'd been everything. That had me on there. But you know what? It was also that has, which has grown in me as a man to have the drive that I have, to have the excitement that I have, to have the passion that I have. Now, I, that's between you and the Lord and what you do in, in your home. But check it out. How many of us today are stifled by what's happened in the past? And we call it depression when God just says it's the past. Step out of it and live in the right now faith. Or maybe we're looking towards the future of things that may or may not happen. We call it anxiety. And God says, I've not promised you another day. 
but yet we're stifled. He says, no, I'm not giving you that. So I'm going to give you real quickly this morning four components of this sermon title, The Leap of Faith. And I've, I've given kind of a parenthetical title to this message entitled Combating Life's Fears. Let's pray together. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray today that you would help me to rightly divide your word with truth and with power, forever changing our life, that we may came, come in today completely undone, completely broken, but you love us so much that we may leave today the first day of the rest of our life forever changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. I'll give you four components this morning, and I'm going to help you remember it by giving you the acronym of our sermon, LEAP. So we're going to use L-E-A-P as our sermon points today. Number one, if you're taking notes, I believe we need to learn to live the moment. Notice I didn't say live in the moment. That is the worldly position of living in the moment. I'm not suggesting that. I'm asking you to live the moment. The moment that God has so graciously given you. You're but a heartbeat away, a breath away from God taking you out of this life. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, there's a judgment. You and I, whether we be late everywhere we go, we will make that appointment, my friend. How many of you have lost a loved one? I mean, I was talking to a lady this week, and, and her precious mother went to be with the Lord some time ago, and, and, and it was something that had not been planned. It's something we hadn't th- thought about, and, and the Lord took her. And you know what? You, you never can reclaim that moment. It's something you have to live with, and you something, did you, the drudgery of that moment of not being able to maybe say what you need to say, whatever the case may be. I don't know which is worse, going in that type of way or watching your loved one deteriorate over a course of a year like I had to watch my father do. The reality is death to you and I is harmful, it's difficult, but watch this. God says, live the moment, live the right now faith. In fact, he says it this way in Ephesians 5 and 16. Watch what he says. Redeeming the time for the days are full of evil. That today is really the only day we have. That this very moment, hear me, is the only precious moment in which you have. How well will you use it? This idea of leaping into faith or taking a leap of faith suggests that in this life, I will realize that if I love my family, I need to tell them now. I realize that if I do not want to continue to carry the hurt and the bitterness which which is sprung up inside of me of something someone did back there, that I can choose today to forgive them. You say, well, Mark, I, I may forgive them, but the Bible says you have to forget. The Bible says no such thing. In fact, the reality is, is you will never forget what someone has done to you. You and I and our humanity will never forget. But I want to tell you something. God does not forget the sin that you have committed either. Oh, but Mark, the Bible says that God has placed our sin as far as the east is from the west. But make no mistake about it. He is a sovereign God. He even knows your thoughts and your words before you speak them according to Psalm 139. Remember in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, he reminded us that, that David was an adulterer. He reminded us that Rahab was a harlot. He didn't forget who they were, but rather chose not to hold it against them. There's a difference. You don't have to forget to forgive. To forgive is really not letting them off the hook. It's letting yourself off the hook. How many times in life do we walk in this place, want to be liberated, want to be changed, want God to deliver us, and we bring that monkey of hurt on our back, and we carry it in, and it's pressing us down, and it's preventing us from having the relationships, not only with people, but with God, because we're always holding this thing. We feel dirty and undone and broken, and God's saying, I will take that from you. Cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. We bring it in. We lay it at the altar. 
And I've said this illustration many, many times, but if you're here for the first time, you've never heard this. But we'll bring it in, and if you could see it personified, it would be a bag of stuff, a bag of junk, a bag of trash, the hurts, the failures. You lay it on the floor, you feel liberated. You go back and sing a closing verse of a song, and you walk out the door, you shake my hand, you get in your car, and you leave. And sometimes tonight, you come back in, unbeknownst to us, and you break into this building, not really, but emotionally, and you grab your stuff, and you pick it up, and Monday morning, you put it right on your back, and God has already delivered you from that. And we do it every day, because we're afraid. And God is saying this, You need to redeem this very moment for the day is full of evil. Why, Mark? Because you will never have right now again. You'll never have right now again. Think about it. Some of you today are are thinking right now and praying about quitting to smoke, stopping dipping. Some of you ladies, you're thinking about stopping dipping. I'm only kidding. You're thinking about going back to school. You just turned 40 and you're thinking, man, I can't do that anymore. It's been, you know, so many years since I did mathematics. I don't know what to do. I'll never be able to write. And you're paralyzed by fear. Watch this. Check it out. You sit here today on this moment in July 2018 and you're thinking, I know I need to go back to school. I want to go back to school. I want to do this. I want to do that. And you sit here. And this time next year, July 2019, you come back in here. It's Doug's birthday. He gives another $10,000 because that's what we do. And then all of a sudden you're sitting here going, you know what? If I would have only started school a year ago, I would be a year into it. But you did not redeem the right now moment because you were paralyzed by fear in the what if. Am I right? That's true for making up on relationships. I'll do it tomorrow. You may not be given another chance as you are today. You may not have tomorrow. Man, my wife is amazing, man. I really outpunted my coverage and I think she's amazing, but you know what? I'm I'm not. This illustration, my my wife's amazing. I'm not mad. I'm just saying, but I'm just, I just don't want to tell her she's awesome right now. I just want to, you know what? And then you miss it. And then what? You didn't tell her. The reality is there are people in this room that are terrified of walking out of the addiction that has had them by the throat for years. Say, well, Mark, that's, that's me. You must have been reading my mail. No, that's a lot of you. Your addiction may not be meth. Your addiction may not be pornography. Your addiction may be food. Your addiction may be your own piety and your own narcissism, thinking that you're more than God says you are, and you're usurping your authority over people and talking down to them. Maybe that's your addiction. Maybe that's your idol today. You're terrified to lay that thing down. What if I don't make it without it? What if it, hey, what if you do? What if you walk out of that thing? And you never had the first withdrawal. What if you, you know, maybe fireproof the way he did. He busted his computer. If today that has you by the throat, hey, unplug that joker. Cut the cord off and throw it in. Bring it in my house. I'll take it. Whatever you got to do, get rid of it. Get rid of that thing. Remember I told you last week about the climb and, and there are some risks that maybe you should lose some friends. Can I tell you something? If your friends are keeping you in your addiction, they're not your friends. You might need to lose some friends. You might need to lose some acquaintances. Hey, be careful who you allow into your circle of influence because you are today the sum total of your thoughts, actions, and the people who you allow to speak into your life. You'll be afraid of something. Be careful who you take advice from. That's what you need to be fearful of. 
Maybe just maybe you need to be close enough with the Lord that the Holy Spirit can speak into your life and tell you what to do. Check it out. Watch this. Number two, the E, not only do we need to live the moment, E is we need to expect the right of our life. What would happen? What would our life look like if we turned our fear into expectation? When I'm back here in this room, and, and the guys that are back here will tell you, I pace back and forth. Y'all know I move a lot anyway. I pace back and forth, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Lord, please don't take my lack of proper studying and hold it to their account. God, speak to their hearts. God, did, And I'm just like, Lord, please forgive me. God, speak through me. Anoint me today. Speak whatever you want. And, and then I do this. I am so nervous. I can't even tell you how nervous that I am. But you know what I do? I take that nervousness and I speak life over the moment and I say, I'm not nervous. I am excited. I am pumped. I am expected because God's about to do exceeding abundant above what I could ask or think. And you could do that in a moment of fear and not let that fear paralyze you, but expect the ride of your life. Yesterday when I was in the plane, we hit 3,000 feet. I'm looking at my, I got an altimeter on my, on my, on my nice watch that somebody bought me. It's amazing. And I'm looking at it and I go, man, we're 4,000 feet. He goes, we're going up to 14. I'm going to hush your mouth. And so I keep looking at it and we, and, and fear just comes in. You know what I did? I looked at the guy. I go, man, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be awesome. The inside of me is going park. But I'm convincing myself. And then he goes, we're sitting on a bench seat. And he eases us to the, to the side. And, and there's the door. And you shouldn't open a door on an airplane. It's 32 degrees at 14,000 feet. That don't even make sense. And then all of a sudden, he goes, are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, my, my body's going, no. And it's one, two, go. And he said, oh, by the way, if you say no, no sounds like go. We're going anyway, brother. Hold on. And we went out. But that moment, watch this, that moment of walking over the proverbial line of stifling fear in which I had was the moment that I entered into flight. Even if it was only a minute, the free fall, the exhilaration, metaphorically, please, I'm not, again, not suggesting that you go and jump out of a perfectly good plane. But here's what it says in Hebrews 11, 11 and 6, right after we get, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Watch what he says. But without faith in Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Everybody say he's God. Must believe that he is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he can do, that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Please hear me. God is not going to just arbitrarily bust into your word and start pouring blessing. You have to walk in expectancy. You got to change your trajectory. If you come into this room, and I say this without any apology, if you come into Northridge Church on Sunday morning going, man, I just hope Mark blesses me. Mark will fail you every time. But if you walk in that door and go, man, I don't care what song they sing. I don't care if the lights are dim, if they're light. I don't care what's going on. I'm going to be blessed today. In fact, I'm going to be a blessing you will see God. You will see something you have never. What about next week if we came in here and y'all really clapped your hands? And I'm not suggesting that all of you have to just worship and do, but I, I tell you something, to be honest with you, for a lot of years, I would not hold up my hands. I thought that is weird. I thought you got a question or something. Why are your hands up, brother? I mean, seriously, but check it out. I remember the moment that God overwhelmed me so much that in my failures and in my hopelessness, my hands just went up and it was just a posture of surrender. Do you know what? No matter where you go in life, this right here just says the same thing and it says the same thing in this house. Some of you need to surrender. Question for you, what are you currently believing God for today? Starting a new business? 
starting a new relationship? Are you believing God for the best? Or are you just hoping you can just get by? I don't serve a get by God. I serve a God who operates outside the auspices of mediocrity into a level of supernatural that he will bless you in spite of you. I heard this said one time, and I'll I'll say this before I jump to the third one. If you're not believing God for something so catastrophic and profound that if God does not show up, you will utterly fail, your faith is weak. Believing for something that you've never seen, thought of, heard, or entered into your heart. There's a verse for that. That God truly wants to bless you exceeding abundant above all that you can ask, think, or imagine. And, and when I'm talking blessing, I'm not just talking material things and prosperity. I think that's a very dangerous message to preach. But from the whole counsel of God, I believe he'll give you joy. I'll, I believe he'll give you purpose. I believe he will give you fulfillment. I believe he will honor you. I believe he will change your walk. I believe he will change your marriage. I believe he will change your hope. I believe he will change your pocketbook. When you get right with God, I think everything by default changes. But you got to quit being afraid. Thirdly, real quick, as the band comes back up, number three, remember L? Live for the moment. Live in the moment. Live the moment. A is we want to what? Adapt and overcome. How I many of you ever heard of Murphy's Law? If anything can happen, it will, and it will happen at the worst possible time. Murphy's Law says this. The probability of a piece of jelly toast falling floor jelly side down is directly proportionate with the cost of your carpet. It will cost more. It will take longer than you ever thought. Murphy's Law says if you live by the sword, you will die from those who don't. How about this one? Murphy's Law says when you do a painting job, you will always need, always need more paint. All right, Marty. You always have to go back to Home Depot. When working on a car, the tool that falls out of your hand through the engine will fall to the exact perfect center of the car, in which case you cannot reach it from any angle of the car. How about this one? The law of being watched is directly proportional to the stupidity of that act. What about this one? The repairman has entered into your house and never seen a model quite like yours before. And I could go on and on. But here's what I want you to get. Murphy is not God. Murphy may be called an optimist under some realms. A realist. But my God is the one who owns it all. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who made me fearfully and wonderfully and put me together and knows every ounce of my body and my being and my fears and my hopes and my dreams. And the reality today is a verse that would, I believe today is going to change your life. It comes from Job chapter 3 and verse 25. If you know the story of Job, Job was a Bible, uh, a Bible patriarch probably the oldest book in the Bible. He would have lived in the time of Abraham like that and would have been measured, his wealth would have been measured on the things that he had. He would have been a high priest of his home. The Bible said he was perfect and mature. Not perfect meaning sinless, but he was a guy who lined up with God's heart. The Bible says Satan came to buffet him and to take from him and he, he killed his eight children. He imploded his homes. He took all of his plenty, uh, plentiful livestock And then the one person that should have stood with him, his precious bride, you know what she told him? She said, curse this God that you you serve and die. She was telling him to commit suicide. And he called her. He said, you foolish woman. 
and he pushed her away. He went and he tore his clothing later and you'll find out that he even, the enemy even put boils and sores on his skin so much so that, that he took a piece of pottery and was scratching them so much to relieve the, the itching that the pus began to rant. It's in the Bible. The Bible says when he went through all this, he fell down prostrate before the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. But check it out. There's a verse that you might not know today. All of that that happened, it was, it was God. God came back and blessed him double that which he started with. It's a great story. It's a great, profound truth. But verse 25 of chapter 3, check this out. Don't, I want you to get this. For those of you who are ran by fear, listen to what he says. Job, Job was told for the thing, he said this, for the thing that I greatly feared the most has come upon me and that which I dreaded has happened to me. Get your head around that for a moment. So that means that this man was driven by the fear of losing his children, the fear of losing his wealth, the fear of losing his, his value, his title, his home. What do you fear the most today? What do you speak about the most? Do you speak fear over your life? You may very well be driving the trajectory of your physical life by the things that you're allowing to fear and speak over it. Speak life. If you fail, and you will, back up and punt. Go at it again. If you fail, back up and punt and go at it again. A man is not measured by the fall, but by the willingness to get back up. If you fall 70 times, seven times, guess what you do according to the scripture? You get back up. You keep pressing on. You keep leaning in. And then lastly, the P in leap. You need to push through. You need to push through today. You need to stop giving up at that very moment that God is sending the answer that you have been believing him for. The Bible says that in the moment that we pray and cry out to God, the tide of battle turns in our favor. He told Daniel, he said, Daniel, back there nine years ago when you prayed and you called on me, I sent the answer in your direction. But because today you have had fear and you have questioned my authority and my provision, today you lose that blessing. How many times in life we believe in God for something profound? And he doesn't answer. We pray and we believe God for something profound, and he doesn't answer. And all of a sudden, we get cynical about it, and we begin to say things like this. I knew God wouldn't do it. That moment, you lose it. The Bible says there's life and death in the power of our tongue. What are you speaking over your life today? Maybe you're like me, metaphorically. Maybe you're standing at the threshold of fear. For me, it was an airplane door. And many other times in my life, I've stood in a very similar place. And watch this. If I would merely just take one step of faith, the fear would be turned into exhilaration, the angst into excitement, mediocrity into provision and abundance, less into more, hopelessness into absolute hope, death into life. What if today your decision has defined you and you are but one step away from breakthrough. It's the God I serve. Today you got to push through.
beyond that threshold, there's no turning back. Today, some of you are sitting there and going, man, I want to share my faith so bad. God's done so much, but you are paralyzed by fear. But once you do it and say it one time, the absolute confidence of the Holy Spirit will overwhelm you. And you will become a witnessing machine for the glory of God. If you're singing and you sing at home and you sing in the shower and you sing in the car and you have a, a voice to sing praises to the Lord and he said, make a joyful noise and you're terrified by fear, just talk to Pastor Keith and say, I have a song in my heart. Stand up and sing for the glory of God. I believe with all of my heart the key to doing this is this. By way of application. And I'm going to really go there next week so you don't want to miss next week. The hope and the comfort that we have in this life is the Holy Spirit. The person in the Trinity who is called the Comforter. My friend, let me ask you a question. When Jesus was in his earthly ministry, when he says, it's necessary that I go, and if I go, I will send another one in my place, and he will be called the comforter. My friend, why would God need to send you the comforter if he expects you to live a life of comfortable? Or maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to step out of your fear into the place of uncomfortable, and then the Holy Spirit carries you the rest of the way and makes it the pleasure, the ride of a lifetime. You know that guy that, that I was tied into, you saw in the video? The amount of faith I put into this guy. And again, using that word very loosely, I'm just giving you a picture here. I'm tied into him, I'm buckled into him. If he pulls, if he don't pull. It, it's somewhat, and I'm, I'm really pushing a far cry here, but I want you to grab onto this. It's almost like the Holy Spirit in the sense of our spiritual journey. To push through doesn't mean that you just take it upon your own volition and step out in faith and go, I can do it. You can do nothing on your own. But if you lock into the Holy Spirit today, what was impossible with you is made possible through God. Can you push through today? Is there an addiction? Push through today. Is there a fear? Push through today. Is there a broken relationship? Push through today. Has God been provoking you to come down and to give your life to Jesus, to join this church, to make whatever? Push through today. Because really the only step you have to take is the first one. And he'll take the rest. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Is that you today? You know what I believe? It's most of you today. It's most of you. The decision that stands before you, you're terrified. Stand up today, let go, lean in, and enjoy the flight of a lifetime. Let go. Do you know that you know that you know today, if you die, that you have Christ in your heart, you're a child of the Most High God, you have heaven for a home. If that's you today, you're sure today where you spend eternity. Lift your hand right now. Lift it up high. Lift it up high. Do not raise your hand if you're not sure. You can put your hands down. Several hands did not go up. What are you waiting for? What are you thinking about today? Well, I got to get this right. Well, I got to get that right. No, you don't. You just come in faith today and you do it this way. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all fallen short and we've sinned. We've not made it across the finish line. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's a gift. 
How do you receive it? In faith today, by the measure of His grace. Hey, what else do I need to do today? Call on His name today. Push through. You don't have to pray it out loud. Y'all don't serve a hope so God with a mediocre, mediocre gospel message. I serve a God that says, these things have I written you that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it today, but you got to pray. Pray in faith right now from your heart to God. Father in heaven, I am a sinner. I believe in Jesus. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Save me. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. To abort fear and put on faith. Until the day you call me home. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you pray that today, I'd just like to be able to pray for you and know it. I want you to lift your hand right now. And just lift it up high and say, I prayed. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you and you. God bless you, sir, on the front. Anyone else? God bless you and you over here. You over here, there's at least eight hands that went up. Everybody in the room, look at me for just a moment. Everybody in the room, if you prayed today and invited Jesus in your heart, come down here and let me pray with you. Take a step of faith. One step. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to join anything. There's already one coming. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Y'all give my brother a hand. What about the rest of you? Thank you, Blake. What about the rest of you? Maybe you're already a child of God, but you're on the point of decision. Will you take a step today? You're not sure what to do? Come to the altar, man, and give it to Jesus. When you get up, leave your junk here. Leave your burdens here. Walk back out free because the Bible says if the Son will set you free, you'll be what? Free indeed. Y'all, everyone stand to your feet. Everybody in the house, stand to your feet.